Podcasting from Patrick Bateman's, it's the DigiGuys. And now, please welcome two men who think Huey Lewis and the news are just okay, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. All right, more new openings. We're so happy to have new openings again. Say, Corey... Who sent that opening in, that creative opening? That was sent in by Kevin Lower right before he returned some videotapes. Uh, Kevin Lower sent a whole bunch in. Mario sent a bunch in. Kevin Lower sent a bunch in. A lot of people sent stuff in. We got a whole bunch. We got a year and a half. So we should talk for a moment about the, uh, the controversy at Cannes, uh, which we didn't talk about last week, which uh, all of our colleagues who went to, to Cannes uh, were pretty much irate with the selection of the Ken Loach film. Uh, for the Palm Door, which just kind of came from left field, and then the German film that everybody loved about the. Uh, the did you follow the German film, the whole thing the, about the dad that? I, uh, I followed nothing. You followed nothing. It was like a month ago. I followed yeah, nothing. Yeah, all right. Well, anyway, no, there's a German film that everybody loved about the uh, the dad who thinks his daughter needs to kind of loosen up her life, so he he puts on a disguise and basically becomes this very bizarre disguised weirdo stalker in his daughter's life, and uh, everybody loved that one. They thought it was going to win the Palm Door. Second woman director would win the Palm Door in history, and. <laughs> It didn't happen. The, uh, the George Miller-headed jury wound up handing it to the Ken Loach film instead, which nobody liked. So everybody's angry. Well, you don't want, uh, you don't want the uh, festival to lose its credibility. But uh, yeah, this happens every few years. It really does. And, and, that, and it ties in a little bit with uh, what we're going to be talking about this week, uh, at least one, one title this week. But uh, anyway, we, we really have, don't have a whole lot of stuff to talk about. So before we get to music, I want to go through some foreign. What? As we're segueing from Cannes. Yeah. Cray cray. Yeah, I'm going to do some foreign stuff, which has a little Cannes tie-in here at one point. Uh, but first, I'm going to talk about the uh, Federico Fellini film, City of Women, uh, uh, from the Classics of Italian Cinema line with uh, the Cohen Film Collection. This is on Blu-ray, City of Women on Blu-ray, Federico Fellini, Marcello Mastroianni, uh, one of his many collaborations with, uh, with Fellini, uh, probably the, the most intense collaboration of a star and an actor in history, even more so than, than Herzog and Kinski, right, wouldn't you think? I would think so. Mastroianni and Fellini? Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Anyway, uh, this, is a, uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful film. I am, I am very hot and cold on Fellini. But uh, this is one of those that I'm lukewarm on, and uh, it kind of falls into a, an interesting period in his life. It is uh, a long film, but it's from 1980, a, uh, an introspective moment, an older Fellini. And uh, it is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's weird, as his films are often, but it's not too weird. And uh, Mastroianni is absolutely wonderful in it. He is very, very good. And the extras uh, are copious. There's a... Uh, an interview with Dante Ferretti, who, of course, has gone on to become a huge legend in production design. Uh, there's a documentary about the making of the film. And uh, there is an interview with Tinto Brass on here, of all people, which I, is kind of strangely not... Uh, well, it's, it's unusual to have Tinto Brass discussing this film and discussing uh, Fellini. Uh, but it, it makes sense when you, when you, when you watch it. So, uh, in any case, that is Federico Fellini's Wonderful City of Women... And then also on Blu-ray uh, from Kino Lorber is a something I was I honestly did not know if this would ever see the light of day here. This is uh, Miguel Gomez's trilogy Arabian Nights, uh, three films. A, this is a huge, 
huge endeavor. Uh, this was, I believe this premiered at Cannes uh, last year, but uh, in any case, it is a, a long, huge, all-encompassing effort. It's one of those things that you just think, okay, it's so like Showa, I guess, is, is another example, or even the Human Condition Trilogy by Kobayashi. This is one of those trilogies where you just think, okay, nobody's ever really going to undertake the effort. Uh, it's three films, about a total of... It's over six hours to watch all three films. Um, but it is, uh, it is... It's almost impossible to... Um, it's almost impossible to really, really explain this. Uh, Gomez made a film a few years ago called Taboo that was very, very well received. And uh, this is essentially a, a telling of the Saudi... of the Arabian Nights, the famous Arabian Nights... Um, but it's it uses them to tell the story of modern day Portugal. So he's doing kind of a Kislowski thing in the sense that Kislowski made the Decalogue about the Ten Commandments, but they were all basically morality tales set in present day Poland. And then you know, three colors, blue, white, and red, a sort of fraternity, liberty, and and, and equality. The, the three themes that are represented by the colors of the French flag. So he made he elaborated on that. So this is um, this is something similar, and it is uh, very very difficult to explain. It is uh, very very difficult to watch at times, but it is captivating, and uh, it is it is well worth seeing. Uh, it has some interesting bonus features on it, which includes a conversation with Michelle Gomez from the New York Film Festival, and then a short film that he made in 2013 called Redemption. But uh, you, you you really almost have to see this to believe it. If you're a Gomez fan, you kind of know what's coming. Uh, if not, it, it'll sort of throw you. Uh, some weeks ago, we talked about um, Yuri Baikov, or Bikov, a Russian director. This is another film that he made in 2014. This is from Olive. It is called The Fool. And uh, it is a it is a, a another one of these Russian films that comes out every so often, and we've had a lot of them lately. That is just an absolute stab in the heart at the corruption that is uh, that defines Russian politics and uh, Russian bureaucracy these days. Uh, quite a quite a, 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 a extraordinary thing that this film was actually made. I have to be honest. I'm kind of amazed that the uh, that. You know, Putin isn't slamming the door on how these films get financed and released, even if he doesn't flat out ban them. But anyway, uh, it is uh, this. This deals primarily with a building, and it deals with you know the bureaucracy involved in development and all that kind of nonsense. And it's pretty shocking. And uh, then we also have. Uh, let me get through this real quickly. Um, this is the can thing I wanted to mention. Maurice Piala. He made a film called Under Satan's Sun, which we'll be talking about on a future uh, future podcast, uh, which was a film that starred Gerard Depardieu that won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. And it was very controversial because PLA went up when he won the Palme d'Or and he said, cinema is dead. And it's one of those artsy things that an auteur would say in a microphone. You know, win an award and you walk up and you go, le cinéma est mort, is dead. And he was very, you know, flamboyant about it and people booed him. And it was very typically Cannes. So anyway, I don't think people really understood what he was doing at the time, but PLA is a great filmmaker and made three, uh, three of his earlier films are part of the Classics of French Cinema line from Cohen. And this is volume one of the films of Maurice PLA. Under Satan's Sun will be part of volume two. Films included here are Lulu with uh, Isabelle Huppert and Gerard Depardieu, a very thin Depardieu in his younger pre-binge-eating uh, days. 
uh, Natalie Bai and Hubert Deschamps in The Mouth Agape, and uh, Philippe Marlot and Sabina Audepin in Graduate First. Uh, three wonderful films, three excellent films that all include uh, interviews and commentaries and uh, really, really good stuff here. Um, uh, and uh, worth checking out. Uh, if you're a fan of PLA, you totally know what you're expecting. Ip Man 3, the uh, third and probably final of the Ip Man films that starred Donnie Yen. This is, com- this is way, way uh, out of anything that had anything to do with Ip Man's life. We're not even remotely in, uh, in the realm of historical fiction anymore here. Uh, the idea here is that Ip Man now has to sort of fight for the honor of his family against ruthless uh, real estate developers and uh, all kinds of other things that are now happening in uh, a period of colonial Hong Kong. Um, the, uh, of course, Bruce Lee being his student is a little bit of the background of this. It's always that sort of, they hinted at that a little bit in the previous film. It's a very small part of this film. The real reason you see this film is because um, Mike Tyson is in it briefly and has a fight scene with Ip Man, which is really awesome. And the funny thing is that Mike Tyson cannot act to save his life, but when he speaks Cantonese, he's scary. Seriously. Mike Tyson speaking Cantonese is badass. How do we know his Cantonese is accurate? Uh, I don't care. All I know is whenever he's talking, speaking English in the film, he talks like Mike Tyson with that lip. And then he starts talking Cantonese. And you're like, oh, gosh, you sound seriously scary. I don't even know what you're saying. But somehow Cantonese coming out of Mike Tyson's mouth, lethal. Fascinating. Anyway, this is on Blu-ray from Welgo. Uh, this is the, uh, what do we got? One, two... Three, four, five, six. This is like the sixth or seventh Ip Man film now, uh, but the third with Donnie Yen. It is quite good. Uh, I'd, I'd even say this is maybe the best of the three Donnie Yen films. It has interview with the Donnie Yen, Mike Tyson, and Wilson Yip, uh, and a making a featurette, behind-the-scenes featurette, and some trailers. Really good stuff. And uh, let's see real quickly. Let's do just these last. Did you ever see Thebe? The Oscar-nominated film this last year? You know, I did not. It's really freaking amazing. Uh, oh, are you holding it in your hand? I am. Film Movement just put it out on Blu-ray. Uh, what a great get for them. Uh, it's basically the flip side to uh, Lawrence of Arabia is what it is. Um, really quite amazing. This takes place in 1916, and it is the you know the, uh, all that Lawrence of Arabia stuff, but seen from the Arab side. It is uh, quite a good film. Um, the uh, anyway, this is you know Lebanon cutter, all in Arabic. Um, really interesting. Anyway, uh, it's a hundred minutes long, so it's much shorter than Lawrence of Arabia, but quite a quite a cool film. And uh, it's uh, this is great, like you know, flip side to the uh, you know good double feature with Lawrence of Arabia in the same way that like the uh, the connection, the Jean Dujardin film should be seen at the same time as the French connection. You get the, the two sides to it. Anyway, uh, really interesting and all through the uh, from the point of view of this uh, this kid. Uh, this thing won the Best Director Award at the 2014 Venice Film Festival. Um, a very, very different view of the uh, the British Army and uh, you know the the Ottoman Empire and you know the whole the whole the whole landscape at that time. Really a fascinating film. Beautifully put on Blu-ray and um, you know kind of a, a really an un- unbelievably effective co-production of many many countries in that region. Um, See, and so do we have some time to do some other stuff. Uh, Alain René, Je t'aime, je t'aime. This is from Kino. 
Uh, this is an L.A. Rene film from 1968. It is uh, impenetrable, like most of his films are from that time, but it is, uh, it is moody and cool. It's a little more accessible uh, than last year at Marienbad. It is kind of a weird time travel romance. Um, I don't think too much about it. it does, it's a time travel romance in the same way that pretty much uh, Alphaville is a science fiction detective story from Ghadar. It's just done in that really cool new wave style and it's not meant to be really a genre film it just uh it is what it is it is what it is you just kind of get go along for the ride and accept that it doesn't really make sense but it's cool sui sui generis it's yeah that and then uh blind is uh an interesting really interesting mood piece um about a woman who is going well, how did, this is a, it's a this is a Norwegian film from a few years ago, and it clearly had a hard time getting picked up. And um, it's a, it's about a it, you can't really tell where you're in reality and when you're out of reality in this. A lot of the film seems to be like uh, in her head, and sometimes in her fantasy life, and sometimes in reality. It drifts in and out, kind of like in Persona, the Ingmar Bergman film. It has a similar vibe to that, and um, it is. This is from uh, screenwriter director Eskil Vogt, who did Oslo, August thirty first, and Louder Than Bombs. Uh, this is Vogt's directing debut after having written many, many, many uh, very famous international films. And this is a, about this absolutely beautiful woman who has lost her sight, and um, it's impacting her relationship, her marriage to an architect, and uh, and her career as a writer. And how does she continue to? write and create fiction and the fiction begins to sort of echo her actual private life and her fantasies and her fears and it's it, it's quite a quite an interesting film and um ultimately you're not you know you're either going to love it or hate it but i found it really quite compelling and interestingly done and i think uh, eskil vote's going to do very very well in the future as a filmmaker so that said there we are with our foreign coverage for the day um Mark, yes. I, would, I would like for you. Yes. Now, well, let's let's cover some music okay. before we get into the, this, this this really cool stuff. So, Frank Sinatra, you heard him. Music. Yeah, Francis Albert Sinatra. Um, the uh, good folks at Eagle Vision they have a four Blu-ray set that covers a lot of Frank's uh, TV specials, and we have one of them. This is uh, this includes a man and his music plus Ella plus Joe Beam. Francis Albert Sinatra does his thing, and the uh, simply titled Sinatra. These are all from the uh, '60s, and uh, they're great. A lot of these were uh, the first one was on A Man and His Music was on NBC. The other two were on CBS. You know, you know why I hate Los Angeles? Why? Okay, Sinatra makes a song about New York, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, iconic. Yeah, one of the all-time great all-time songs. All-time. I mean, really, yeah. in terms of the American Songbook, all oh, yeah. time great. All time great. Make a song about Chicago. My kind of town, mm-hmm. Chicago. Yeah. Have you ever heard his song about L.A.? Frank Sinatra's L.A.? He did a song about L.A. Did he really? I swear to God. It's it? the lamest song you've ever heard in your life. Like, L.A., something happens, and uh, it's my lady, and you're why cool. Would, why, why would I'm going to look it up right now. Why would anybody do that after Randy? I mean, Randy Newman killed it. I Love L.A. is, is L.A.'s anthem. No, but this, would... is, this, but this is Sinatra. He did it. In uh, I mean, I'm not sure what it's what, what is his LA song called? <laughs> oh, LA is my lady. It's just the worst. Oh, here it is right now. Oh, Wait, hang on, ladies and gentlemen. LA is my lady.
I, I don't. I, I, this sounds horrible. This is terrible. Why are you playing this? Okay, he's gone from New York, New York. Yeah. To this. That sounds terrible. Oh, wait, that's not it. Not, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on, wait still, a minute. It's still pretty terrible. Wait, 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 wait. Where is it? Well, maybe it was it. Okay. This is so loungy. This is... This is, I mean, New York, New York, yeah. iconic. One of the great songs of all time. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Chicago? Sure. Yeah. A great song? Yeah. Then there's this crap. <laughs> well, okay, let's just get to the chorus, and then I'll move on, I promise. Yeah. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm so glad that nobody listening to this can actually see you rocking. It's just the, it's, it's uh, just the worst piece of S song you've ever heard yeah. in your life. Okay. Anyway, okay, there, there's that. Okay. Um, Melanie Gardo uh, is a uh, was a, a woman, a singer, American singer, grew up in Philadelphia that uh, I had never heard of, and um, I like her. Live at the Olympia, Paris is her Blu-ray, and uh, she's an interesting cat. She she always wears a uh, uh, sunglasses on, on stage, and you're like, why are you always wearing sunglasses on stage? What are you, a cool cat? No. Turns out that in 2003, she was, um, she was hit by a car. And one of the effects of her being hit by a car is that she is hypersensitive to light and sound, so she has to wear dark sunglasses, like, at all times to shield her eyes. Totally weird. Um... So that's why she does that, but it's, it's become like a little bit of her signature. But uh, she's terrific. She plays piano, and she sings, and she's, uh, you know, she's a little bit like, um, she's a little bit like Nina Simone. I guess she's, uh, she's been compared to, but uh, she's influenced by a lot of the old, you know, blues and jazz artists from back in the day, Duke Ellington and uh, George Gershwin, a lot of the American songbook stuff. So uh, I like her a lot. She's a little bit like, uh, not not like Amy Winehouse, but she has that, She's modern, but has that old-school sensibility like an Amy Winehouse. Cool. So Melody Gardot live at the Olympia Paris is a cool uh, cool chick to get to know. Then we have uh, The Damned, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead. Now, The Damned was an English rock band, and they were kind of the first punk band. I think they were the first punk band to actually release a, a single in the United would, States. I wouldn't know. Now, back then... The Sex Pistols and a couple other bands were the ones that kind of, you know, sucked up all that oxygen. But um, the Dan was kind of the first, you know. They were around in the, in the late 70s. They had a couple of albums. They reformed again in 1991. But by that time, by 1991, 1995, you know, they've had albums subsequent, even right up until like 2008. But really, the Damned is known for being kind of the first uh, punk rock band to really have an album, make a name for themselves in the United Kingdom and here in the U.S. And so they're sort of trying to reclaim a little bit of their history in The Dam, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead, which played at uh, South by Southwest. And this was directed by the guy who did Lemmy. Now, Lemmy, um, which is about uh, the obviously the Motorhead singer who passed away recently, uh, there was a documentary about him, and it was terrific, and it's directed by the same guy. So 
you've got um, a good director who does a lot of great rock docs and uh, a punk band that uh, deserves to have its history reclaimed and uh, kind of does it. Nice. And don't you wish that we were dead? I, I know nothing about punk. Yeah, you know what? At the, I've come to appreciate punk more as I've gotten older. When I was at the time, A, I was very young, but at the time... Uh, it was like just dangerous, scary, loud music that I didn't understand. All I know about punk is uh, I learned from watching uh, Dirty Harry movies. That's all I know. They're the they're the people that he yells that, at. They, you, they're people who either feel lucky or they don't feel lucky. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, you know, I was listening to the uh, the theme from Dirty Harry the other day. That is a ripping piece of music. Seriously, Lalo Schifrin just completely unhinged. That is a roaring piece of music. The 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 bass, the drums. The whole thing. That's like a jazz masterpiece. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but it is an amazing piece of music. Well, actually, here it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's, that's fabulous. Oh, great. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Oh. I wait, wait. We have, I have a couple more uh, music yeah. docs to talk about. Okay. Um, there's this British singer um, named Michael Holbrook Penniman Jr., and he is uh, known by the short name of uh, Micah. And he uh-huh. has a uh, Blu-ray out called Symphonia Pop. Uh-huh. And I have to say that uh, I don't really like this guy. <laughs> he's a singer and a songwriter, and he's had a bunch of albums out. He's fairly new to the scene. Um, he really kind of broke in like 2004, 2006. And, uh, yeah, he's got a couple compilation albums. He's, he's won a bunch of awards at, MT, at the MTV Europe Music Awards. He's actually been nominated for a Grammy for Best Dance Recording. You'd probably like him. He's really just lame. Euro. He's just Euro. Euro lame? He's kind of Euro lame. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so this is a... Um, you know, my favorite... Euro, by the way, Eurovision. You ever follow the Eurovision uh, pop, pop song contest? You know, oh. Ukraine won this year, and my rush is all That's, pissed off because it is... means they're going to have it next year in Ukraine. I'm turning off the air conditioning. My, my favorite song from, in the history of the Eurovision contest is uh, My Lovely Horse, which, of course, was not really entered, but they, they, they'd like to believe it. That's from Father Ted. Uh, real quick, uh, Glenn Campbell is... Uh, I'm not paying attention to you. I know. Real, real quick, Glenn Campbell obviously is uh, a tragically suffering from Alzheimer's. He turned 80, I think, a couple weeks ago. And um, there's a DVD, not a Blu-ray, the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour Country Special. These were some terrific specials back in the day that have a lot of great uh, country acts in it. Uh, Johnny Cash, June Carter, Buck Owens, Jerry Reed, Minnie Pearl. And uh, there's some great songs on these things. This is Glenn Campbell, Good Time Hour, Country Special, uh, Folsom Prison Blues, Born to Lose, I Saw the Light. And uh, Shout Factory did a great job putting this together. Great performances. Uh, it's a great old uh, show. It's a great tribute to a classic country artist who is unfortunately very, very sick and certainly on his way out. It's very tragic. And I'm glad that Glenn Campbell's starting to get his due. There was that great documentary a couple of years ago. Uh, and a great farewell single that he released, and this is just another way to kind of honor Glenn Campbell, the Glenn Campbell Good Time Comedy, uh, Good Time Hour Country Special. And finally, there's a uh, another DVD called Live from the House of Soul. This features a um, a uh, Afrobeat band. I'm not really a big fan of Afrobeat music, but uh, I did appreciate uh, Andy Ballas. That's uh, what they're called. They're um, they're from Brooklyn. They formed in the late '90s. There's a, they're a 12 piece, and they're all very talented. And they performed everywhere. They were like in, they performed at Carnegie Hall, um, and also Rikers Island. But uh, this uh, DVD live from the House of Soul is really something you'd want to check out if you like Afrobeat music or are interested in different types of music. 
uh, coming out of uh, some of these crazy little corners of, uh, of New York. And yeah, it's a good band. They have a tenor sax, they have a guitar, a trombone, a good horn section, a few, uh, a few guitarists. Um, but again, it's not really my thing, Afrobeat music, but I, I, I respected it more ha having watched this, even though um, I can't say I'm going to become an Afrobeat music aficionado. All right, and then to wrap out our music segment, um, some stuff from Naxos uh, on the classical end of things, all the opera and ballet stuff that Mark hates. We've got a lot of opera, no ballet today. But some other good, really good classics, the classical stuff. Um, from uh, C major, the Unitel classical line, we have uh, Bruckner's Symphony No. 9, uh, conducted by Christian Thielemann and the Staatskapelle Dresden. This is interesting. If you know anything about Bruckner, this was Bruckner's last symphony. He never completed it. Uh, he almost completed it, never fully completed it, but it still gets performed all the way up through the third uh, movement, which he, it remains a little bit rough, but it's still an impressive piece of music. And uh, this is the conclusion of the uh, complete cycle of all of uh, Bruckner's music that Thielemann and uh, the Staatskapelle Dresden have done, and they've, it's kind of the definitive... Uh, the definitive performance now. So it is, a, it is a wonderful performance, beautifully put together on Blu-ray. And then uh, also from Unitel Classica, C major, is uh, volume two of Beethoven's Piano Sonatas, uh, performed by Rudolf Bookbinder. And uh, I don't really keep up with a lot of the virtuosos these days, but Bookbinder is a, is a hell of a pianist and uh, really quite a, a joy to, to watch and listen to. Uh, this was recorded at the Salzburg Festival in 2014. Really wonderful audio, just fabulous acoustics, and uh, a magnificent entertainer. Sonatas 3, 19, 26, 7, 28, 6, 24, 16, and 29 are included here. And uh, if you know the sonatas, that, or if you don't, that's really not going to make much of a difference. And uh, on the opera end of things, we have uh, Richard Va Richard Wagner's Tannhauser. Uh, also with the uh, uh, conducted by um, well stage direction and choreography by Sasha Waltz and uh, conducted by the uh, Daniel Barenboim conducting the Staatskapelle Berlin and the Staatsopern Choir uh, I'm not a huge fan of Tannhauser it's big and flamboyant and bombastic but you know for those who do you'll love that and then from Opus Arte we have a whole bunch of really interesting stuff uh, Bizet's Carmen uh, performed at the Royal Opera House, uh, directed by Francesca Zambello. This is uh, really wonderful music. I don't particularly care for the story of Carmen so much, but the music is is re really amazing. And then a uh, performance, this is a non-musical performance of William Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, also from uh, Opus Arte. A beautiful performance, very kind of unconventional in many respects. Uh, particularly good, uh, you know, interesting addition to the corpus of uh, Shakespeare. And as long as we're still on Shakespeare, there is a boxed set from uh, Opus Arte, which is Verdi and Shakespeare. These are the three Verdi operas inspired by Shakespeare, Macbeth, Otello, and Falstaff. Uh, this is in celebration of the Shakespeare 400 or quadcentennial or whatever we're calling it. And uh, it's a lovely box set and uh, all really, really great performances. Um, and productions. Uh, this all the uh, one at the uh, Macbeth from the Royal Opera House, Otello at the um, uh, Barcelona Opera House, and then Falstaff at Glyndebourne. Uh, really, really great stuff. And then there's a boxed set of Baroque classics, also from Opus Arte. These are well, uh, if they're broke, you got to take them back and get a oh, new one. Oh, six classic operas. 
in a limited edition box set, also all Blu-ray. Handles uh, Diadamia, Cavalli's La Didone, uh, Pergolesi's Adriana in Syria, uh, Cavalli's Ercole Amante, Ramos Zoroastra, and Scarlatti's Dove Amore e Gelosia. Oh, that one's my favorite. I am unfamiliar with all of these except for Diadamia, which uh, is is lovely. Uh, the others, all the Italian stuff, and then Zoroastra by Rameau, I'm not familiar with. But uh, they look gorgeous. They sound gorgeous. So, you know, opera fans will love it. And then lastly, uh, Blu-ray audio is something you should check out. If you, if you have a Blu-ray player and you have not listened to Blu-ray audio, you're missing out. Because it does, if you've got the full speaker set up, it does take it a, a notch above what you would go, get with a, even, you know, the, the very best CDs or the super audio CDs and all the stuff that they've tried to do. This is high-res audio, and this is all from Art House Music. Uh, there is Puccini's La Boheme with the uh, chorus and opera of San Francisco opera. And then there is uh, Prokofiev's Cinderella with the Lyon National Opera and uh, ballet uh, and orchestra. And then there is uh, The Damnation of Faust with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Chorus uh, by Berlioz. All three just... And, and conducted by Serge, uh, George Schulte, of course, one of the legendary conductors of all time. All three just sound magnificent. If you don't like the music, it's not going to mean anything to you. But if, you, if you're looking for something to really, really give you the, the sense of sitting in the front row balcony of like an amazing acoustic performance uh, house somewhere in the world and watching an opera or listening to an opera or whatever, it, it really just filled the house. It's, it works the speakers like nothing. It's really beautiful. It shows off the audio capabilities better than most movies, frankly. So all of that is recommended. Now, Mark. Yes. Why don't you tell us um, why 13 hours uh, is going to completely sink Hillary Clinton's president's, uh, presidential uh, ambitions? Go ahead, tell us. Michael Bay. Michael Bay is her, her worst enemy, right? He's a, he's Benghazi! A, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Trump plant. You, you, you realize that if uh, we don't get political on the show, but... If, if Hillary were – the worst thing that can happen would be for Hillary to win because you know why? Because all she's going to do is spend four years in, in special committees you know, that held by Republicans who want to just nail her for emails and for Benghazi and for the dinner she had last night and for the dress she wore and all the sort of they, – they will, they will secret committee her to death. But this movie – but this movie did all that already, didn't it? No. Didn't it? It didn't? It did not. You know, they thought it would. Uh, you know, the, 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 my point being this, my point being this, and I will let you go on after this, but every time somebody comes out with a movie that is supposed to sink somebody's uh, political ambitions, it never works. Case in point, uh, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 9-11 won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, didn't deserve to, but it did because everybody was making a political statement. Michael Moore, ah, I was there that year. Oh, my gosh. And, and immediately after that, uh, Bush got reelected. Right. So, and then uh, what's his face came out with uh, Obama 2016. Uh, right. Oh, know, right. Dinesh, uh, Dinesh D'Souza, Obama right. 2016. Uh, doo, 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 doo. Oh my gosh, don't I? And Obama got reelected. So every time somebody comes out with a film that is supposed to sink somebody politically, they never do. Yeah. Now those were documentaries, fair enough. But this thing like came and went. It did. You know it why? It came and went. It came and went. I, I don't know that people were interested in like just you know military porn. Because <laughs> again, this is directed by you know Peter, Peter Berg. I mean, uh, Mike, Peter Berg and Michael Bay are kind of the same, where they're just these just punishing directors who are just they make these tacky and flimsy and just loud, obnoxious movies. But even though Peter Berg is becoming the new Michael Bay, there is yeah. nobody like Michael Bay. Yeah, and Michael Bay just attempts to. He, 
he thinks he's making like a rah-rah movie that mm-hmm. honors the sacrifice of our soldiers in this terrible thing they went through. And of course, our soldiers did sacrifice a lot, and yeah. we should honor them and all that sort of good stuff. But I'm just saying that he thinks he's making that, but really he's just doing another Transformers film, except it just yes. involves uh, soldiers. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and by the way, Michael Bay, as much as I hate him, he's done, I mean, he had done a couple of decent films earlier in his career, like The Rock or even mm. Armageddon. Yeah. I think was fine. Yeah. But uh, if, you know, there's something about Benghazi that doesn't. See, Republicans think it's like the the they just think it's it's just the whole the holy grail of bringing down Hillary, and yet everybody else is just you know what how many how many secret committees do we have, how many committees do we have to have to say that you know and, it was not her fault. And you know somewhere there's a guy, some guy from the Ghazi family. His name is Benjamin, and he is just hating life because people just make they make Benghazi jokes around him all the time. And you know that's the you know that's, that's true. true. Anyway, look, I'm not saying that there's not some intense stuff in here because there is. Um, I, I think that um, – what's his name? Uh, uh, I forgot his name already. Oh, John Krasinski. He's trying to be badass guy after all those years in the office. I don't really buy it. I think the rest of the casting is very good. I didn't really buy him. Uh, you know, the music is supervised by Hans Zimmer, which means that it's just a bunch of, you know, and bombastic stuff. Good stuff in it. I would – Think this movie might have even done better if it wasn't Benghazi because I just don't know that people wanted to spend you know sixteen dollars on a Saturday night to just yeah. feel like they're going to be hit on the head with Benghazi. Well, maybe Benghazi, Benjamin Ghazi, maybe he did. Maybe he felt okay about it. How dare you? So, Hail Caesar, uh, Coen Brothers film. It's kind of minor Cohen, uh, but it's the kind of thing that they do particularly well. And minor Cohen is better than most anything else. So here's the thing that, with the Coen brothers. I get the sense that they, you know, sometimes they really, really work stuff out really well. And sometimes I get the sense that they just kind of have like a kitschy idea and a few scenes and they just sort of throw a movie loosely together around a few ideas that they think are really funny. And those scenes are great. And the movie is a lot of fun, but it really, compared to their best work, it's not a thing. Like Fargo is of a piece. That's a that is a that's, sol- a, that's a rock yeah. solid film. Absolutely. Uh, no Country for Old Men, they're obviously working from somebody else's source material. But best picture. Yeah, but then you but then you also have things like Burn After Reading, which is like, well, it's not movie's much, funny. It's but that's the thing. There's nothing really going on there. It's just a handful of scenes that are incredibly funny, but they don't they just barely hang together. And that's kind of what this is. Um Hail Caesar takes place during the Hollywood blacklist era, and I can tell you exactly what they said. They said, "Let's make a movie that sort of just is like a pastiche of everything that was going on in Hollywood in the 1950s. The Blacklist era and all these different genres. And we'll like, we, can, we can do, you know, we can talk about musicals and serials and people who are trying to transition and this kind of an actor and that. And then we can have Tilda Swinton be a gossip columnist and we'll, we'll throw Josh Brolin in there as like the, the beleaguered production chief. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll have George Clooney play the really kind of the lunk-headed uh, guy who's starring in like a Spartacus slash Ben-Hur slash Ten Commandments kind of uh, Quo Vadis Roman epic, which is the movie of the title, Hail Caesar. And we'll just, we'll just mash all this together, and then we'll kind of have some kind of a weird, weird plot where the, where the actor played by George Clooney, he gets kidnapped by a, by a bunch of uh, blacklisted communist writers, and we'll, we'll have a whole weird little uh, caper thing going on, how they're going to hold the, uh, the, the production hostage. And, uh, yeah, that'll be a re- – well, it doesn't really hang together, but there's a lot of fun stuff in here and a lot of really good scenes. And uh, Ray Fiennes 
as um, a very meticulous um, Vincent Minnelli type director who's doing very serious drawing room dramas is hilarious. He is absolutely hilarious. And Alden Ehrenreich, who should be on the tip of everybody's tongue now because he is going to be the new Han Solo. He's going to be the new young Han Solo. He is amazing. His scenes with Ray Fiennes in this thing are simply to die for. They're just an absolute riot. Uh, he plays a guy with a real thick drawl who's been, you know, a Western sharpshooting star in these Western serials, and they're going to try to turn him into a real matinee idol. He can't handle it. He can't handle the dialogue, and it drives Ray Fiennes up the wall. Funny movie. A lot of good stuff. Uh, Scarlett Johansson basically, you know, playing, uh, uh, what's her face, the the swimming... Esther Williams. Esther Williams, basically doing an Esther Williams type thing. I mean, it's a lot of fun stuff. doesn't really hang together, but it's a lot of, it's still a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, okay. Oh, Jarhead 3, Wayne. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. We have to talk thought... about Scott Atkins, Charlie Weber, and Dennis Haysbert in Jarhead 3. I didn't, I didn't mean to throw you. I thought you were going to roll with the military thing. No, because I, I, I did not finish watching this because it's just too terrible. Okay. Uh, this is uh, the sequel to uh, the, you know, Jarhead at the time was a bit of a movie. Yeah. You know, it uh, yeah. had some pedigree and people yeah. enjoyed it. And it was, a bit, uh, it was a bit of an Oscar bait. But now you're like two sequels in to a movie that you never even had a sequel. And it's just it, it's all crap. You know, like Jarhead was a real movie, and now you got Jarhead two, and now Jarhead three, and I just don't get I'm it. I'm kind of shocked that the, 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 there's enough in the Jarhead launched a franchise. I, yeah, I that's just... the thing. Like this movie was not made to launch. It, it was certainly not made to launch a direct to Blu-ray <laughs> franchise. No. You know, very strange. So anyway, yeah, this is a bunch of crap. Okay, what do you want me to say? Jarhead three for Christ's sake, it's terrible. Stop that. You know. Right here is what I think is going to wind up being the most underrated movie of the year. I am so in love with this movie. Okay, I I had to watch this for radio. This is the first movie mm-hmm. I have ever reviewed for radio. Normally, let me let me explain something to people. Mm-hmm. Film week is a grind. All right. Now this this podcast is fun because it's our podcast and we can do what we want and we can you know we can throw something on. We can watch you know like like ten minutes of it if we hate it. We can we'll tell you we we hate it. We watch ten minutes of it. And it, it, it's, you know, we can, if, we, if we get a piece of junk movie in and we look at it for five minutes, we think that's not really worth talking about. We don't talk about it. Film Week is not that way. Film Week, I'm on it with other film critics, and they will send us a list. And these are the, you know, the, the 18 movies opening this week. And we basically say, okay, these are the ones that we really have to cover. And you'll, you'll talk about maybe 12. And then you've got to watch those 12 movies. From beginning to end, you don't get to sort of say, I don't think this is, no, it's, you got to watch those 12 movies and you might get through nine or 10 of them. Okay. So those 12, and so you don't watch them twice. You watch it and you make it, you know, you, you burn through it and that done and it goes off your checklist. I have never until now watched a film week movie twice. Despite the grind, the pressure, I watched this thing through. I had such a blast. I sat there and I watched it again. I watched it twice. The movie I'm talking about is Mr. Right. This is such a hoot. It is so much fun. It is such a riot. You, you just can't believe it. Uh, here's, here's what Mr. Right is. Mr. Right stars Sam Rockwell and Anna Kendrick. Uh, and a very, very funny Tim Roth, by the way. And, and Rizza's in this as well. Rizza is, is simply to die for. Uh, but this movie is absolutely a hoot. So... It's about it's it's a it's a romantic comedy, but an incredibly violent and sadistic romantic comedy. 
Anna Kendrick is a woman who's a basket case. Her boyfriend just cheated on her, and she can't. She just has a horrible history with men, and she just doesn't know what she's going to do. She just doesn't know why they hate her and why they cheat on her, and all it. It's just horrible. And Sam Rockwell is a serial killer. Uh, well, not a serial killer. He's a uh, a hitman. He's a hitman who um, has given up killing people, but he still kills the people who hire him because it's wrong to kill. Are you following me here? There's a certain twisted logic there, yeah. Right? He, he gave up being a hitman because it's, it's wrong, and, but people still track him down and try to hire him, and he kills them because killing's wrong, and they shouldn't be hiring a hitman. It's brilliant. Isn't it wonderful? So these two, these two weird lunatics wind up meeting and getting caught up in – there's a whole thing. There's like uh, – there are these, these, these gangsters that are trying to get rid of him because they got a thing. And anyway, so it's a, it's a whole lot of very, very clever near misses and, and ultimately just uh, it descends into complete and total hilarious mayhem and bloodshed. And it's great. And RZA is fabulous and Tim Roth as a, as a rival uh, hitman trying to kill him is also fabulous. And Anna Kendrick is hilarious and – Honestly, Sam Rockwell is an American treasure. They should put his face on Mount Ro- on, on Mount Rushmore. He is an American treasure. He is so good. I just I, you fall in love with him. He's wonderful. There was a time. This is now. This time has passed. He does the ten split. years. He does the splits. No, his like, his his, yeah. uh, his his body double or the uh, or the post house in no, North Hollywood. No, he does the splits like okay. he did in Charlie's Angels. He can do them. Okay. He is a dancing machine. Anyway, it's a great movie. And here's the kicker. Uh, the kicker is it's directed by Paco Cabezas, who's a total hack, who did this, this, this uh, uh, Nicolas Cage movie last year that was just dreadful and horrible. This is like a different guy directing this. It's like he suddenly became possessed by you know, the ghost of somebody, and he, he made an amazing movie. And I give all the credit, really, to the screenwriter, Max Landis. There you go. Max Landis. Like American Ultra... This has a lot of the same vibe. Max Landis, John Landis' son, he's selling spec scripts. He's the man of the moment. He is. He's, he's, like, he's like this new guy, man. He's, he's, he's killing it. He's the screenwriting guy of the future. This is a great movie. Mr. Wright, Sam Rockwell, Anna Kendrick, don't miss it. It's so much fun on Blu-ray. And uh, it, only, it only includes an extra of a, of a featurette. But it is so much fun. you got to see it. Think with Max Landis, you know, the guy's only 30 years old. I know. It's Isn't that crazy? crazy? It's nuts. Anyway... All right, uh, and then uh, let's see. One more time is a, a kind of a meh film. Um, you know, let's let's get back into the the uh, the Johnny Depp uh, dirt wh- because this stars Amber Heard and Christopher Walken, and uh, the idea here is Amber Heard is kind of a rebellious daughter slash singwriter slash all around ne'er do well and uh, ragamuffin, uh, impossible to please millennial. Who is now broke, and she goes back to back to this. De- she goes back to this decrepit mansion in the Hamptons, where her father, who is like a famous crooner, uh, where he is, you know, sort of living and trying to resurrect his his dusty old career. And it winds up being kind of a quasi Cassavetian uh, father daughter thing. And, you know, he's got a new wife, and there's all kinds of other family stuff going on with her brother. And, you know, there's, really, there's, it, there's not a lot to it. it. The performances are good. Walken is good. Uh, Amber Heard is, is actually surprisingly good in, in a part that I didn't think was really that great for her. But ultimately, I don't know that this thing really goes anywhere that's all that interesting. But, you know, Christopher Walken's in it. It can't be all bad, right? That is true. Uh, Wade, let's talk about a little gem. That I guarantee slipped by your uh, slipped underneath your radar. Sure the, did. The confirmation. 
Now, this was uh, this is the uh, directing debut of the guy who wrote Nebraska. And so you know what you're kind of getting a little bit because yeah. uh, Bob Nelson has a definite sensibility. And um, this is, again, it's a real gem. It's a... Um, it's a story, uh, it's a comedy about an estranged father and son, and uh, the father's toolbox gets stolen, and so he takes the kid on a weekend uh, trip to go find this toolbox, and that's really just the bare bones of it. Because it turns mm-hmm. out that um, the, char- you know, the characters are memorable, it's, it's, it's warm, and it's not melodramatic, and it's well-directed, and you know, I just thought this thing, which just kind of came from nowhere, I this thing was was really moving. I thought the confirmation was just terrific, and uh, yeah. And also, look, it's it's also a family friendly film that you can kind of feel good about watching. It's not going to like it's not you know lame and Hallmark Hall of Fameish. So um, I would definitely check out the hidden gem of the week. He's for me. The confirmation with Clive Owen and Maria Bello and Robert Forster and Pat Oswalt is in this and Matthew Modine is in this too, and uh, yeah, I'm absolutely all, terrific. I'm all it's, bummed. It, I'm all bummed that I missed that now. Oh, that's, yeah, that's lame. You know, you know what it is. It's just. Uh, it's just. It's nice to see. And I guess this is Nelson's forte. It's nice to see movies about like, you know, small town Americans and just how they live their lives. It's not condescending. Look, you had me at Pat Oswalt. Seriously. So sad that his wife passed. Honestly, I that is, I am so bummed at that. I mean, that really depresses me because I because I know how much he loved his wife, and he's talked about her in his in his you know his, his bits. It's just oh. Now she had. Did she have cancer? Him. I can't remember what he died. Of. It, yeah, it was something like that. It was, but it was sudden. It was a disease. It was something. It was, some, yeah. it was like really sudden and totally unexpected, and that's just man, that's the worst. Very very true. Uh, Touch with fire. This is an interesting movie. This is. Um, with Katie Holmes and, and uh, Luke Kirby. And it's about two poets with uh, bipolar disorder, and they meet in a treatment facility. And, uh, yeah, you know, they're bipolar, so they go through you know very high highs and very low lows. And you're thinking to yourself, God, that just sounds so melodramatic, these big, enormous emotional highs and these really depressing lows. It's so, it's so like, it just feels like just a big over-the-top, you know, cliched Oscar bait movie. Not really. I'll tell you, the guy who directed this um, is this guy named Paul Dalio, and he is bipolar. So he knows... Oh, so it's... Uh, so we, we can't really make fun of this. As, as much as I want to, we cannot <laughs> make fun of it. But this is good. You know, it's good. It's, it's, it, it, it's, an, it's intense, and it's just shot through with, with really interesting scenes where these people kind of have to go through this, this, this stuff that goes through their brain, that this bipolar disorder that they can't control, but sends them to these odd emotional places. And uh, it's just very effective in showing, like, you know, also about a new relationship and how people, you know, when you first date somebody, you don't want the other person to know the bad things about you, so you kind of try to hide it. And uh, so it gets into not only the bipolar disorder, but also what it's like to start in a relationship. So I think it's the thing is gentle and honest, and I just was very, very surprised by Touch with Fire. Katie, you know, Katie Holmes was never like a bad no, actor; no. she was terrific. Yeah. But she, her career became something else, mainly as Tom Cruise's wife. Yeah, well, that's not no more. That's right. All right, so uh, we're going to, let's do, I got a few classics here that I will uh, blow through real quickly, and then we're going to hit some TV. And see if that leaves us any time for this uh, this backlog of anime that's been creeping up on us. Probably not, but let's go for it. So, um, 
We've got Michelangelo Antonioni's Le Amiche on Blu-ray from Criterion. Uh, Antonioni can, can be hit and miss. Tim, our good friend Tim, absolutely adores Antonioni. Uh, I like early Antonioni when he started turning more into Tinto Brass later on in his career. I, I became less enamored of him. But uh, this is a this is an early Antonioni, the the kind that I really absolutely adore. This is from a 2K digital restoration, Le Amiche from 1955, um, which is uh, one of the films where he really uh, takes on it's sort of social criticism in a way, at least as much as you're going to get uh, from Antonioni, which is a look at the lives of a certain class of women in uh, in Italy at the time in the 1950s who have, you know, all kinds of issues, romantic life and otherwise, and this is uh, looking basically at, uh, at what that class, that level of uh, Italian society, what, how sort of empty it is morally and, uh, and in terms of any kind of human fulfillment. Um, not a lot of extras here. Uh, there's, an, there's an interview with uh, Eugenia Polcelli, on uh, fashion, the role of fashion in Antonioni's work, and then an essay and a conversation with a couple of film scholars about the themes in the film. And that's pretty much it. But uh, it is otherwise a really, really interesting film. Very, very good early Antonioni and worth checking out. So that is the Criterion release of the week. Three terrific titles from Olive, three great catalog titles. Uh, Mannequin, a movie which I made fun of tremendously at the time. This is on Blu-ray, courtesy of uh, 20th and MGM, now through Olive. Uh, Wonderful licensing deal. Uh, you know, Kim Cattrall, before she was on Sex and the City, plays Mannequin. And uh, to Andrew McCarthy's romantic crazy man for whom a mannequin comes alive. And it's like every guy's dream, I guess, in the in the uh, 80s was, you know, that mannequin in the window to become your girl. Was it, Mark? Was that, it yours? That thing was, the, the mannequin was a hit at, at the time. Well, it was because they of made the, a sequel. It was because of the Starship uh, song. The Starship song, like, became a huge hit. And, uh, you know, it was Grace Slick who put this movie over the top. I mean that's a gr- it's a great song. Um, no, it's what the hell are we thinking with Starship? That, but you know what? Terrible. Honestly, it's it, it. There's a weird kind of kitschy charm to this movie that I I didn't give it credit for at the time. So I I kind of sort of take it back. Uh, Denzel Washington in the Mighty Quinn, which uh, is also a better film in hindsight than I gave it credit for. Directed by Carl Schenkel, whose career hasn't really gone anywhere, but. Uh, you know what? It, this is kind of like a it's like a, a Caribbean noir, and uh, it's it's actually surprisingly engaging. Much better written than I gave it credit for at the time. So, uh, and of course, Denzel can really do no wrong at all. He just he's great. So, uh, and I I think part of the issue here is that it was the screenplay was written by Hampton Fancher, who for us is most famous as the guy who wrote Blade Runner, freaking Blade Runner, unbelievable. And he, he's also co-writing the sequel. Is he really? Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure about that. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that's I mean, pretty maybe great. something changed, but uh, yeah. That's pretty great. All right. And then about 10 years ago, a film came out that uh, was not really discovered, but needs to be, and that is The Woods, starring Agnes Bruckner, uh, Bruce Campbell, and an amazing Patricia Clarkson, who was really wonderful in this. Um, and uh, this is kind of a gothic thriller uh, set around the, the, the world of a you know private girl's school in New England. Uh it's, you know, anything set around a private uh, prep school, male or female, tends to be either just bawdy and hilarious and in- incorrect or else it's just creepy and it gets into all kinds of, uh, you know, military uh, metaphor 
punishment, and it, it can. That's more what this is about. So this is uh, this is about you know about uh, what happens when you try to straitjacket people in uh, one of those schools, and uh, things just don't go the way that you expect them to. Uh, pretty creepy, pretty well done, real moody, uh, worth rediscovering. So that is from Olive the the Woods. And then lastly, our 4K Blu-ray releases of the week, 4K Ultra HD. Uh, we have very unexpectedly, I think they threw these together pretty quickly, Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, because the new Ghostbusters trailers are going all gangbusters. And uh, I think they felt like they wanted to sort of get out ahead of the new Ghostbusters and see if they could get a little 4K action. Got to be honest, I'm kind of disappointed in both of these. They also come with ultraviolet, which is nice, but I see no reason to recommend for anybody who currently has Blu-rays of Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters 2 to really upgrade. I don't see the... I mean, yeah, it looks good on 4K, but I don't really see the great benefit. Unless you've got a big old fat 70, 75-inch TV, I'm not sure you're going to really see any significant improvement. And, um, you know, the issue with 4K is that it means up to 4K. And a lot of these things that are being put out on 4K are not really... for The elements being mastered to 4K aren't 4K. So, because a lot of cameras don't shoot 4K, a lot of the stuff that is technically 4K or advertised as such, it's like 3.2K cameras. You know, it depends what, what source material you're working with. So, in this case, I feel like we may be looking at up-converted 2K. I hate to say it. That so. would be disappointing. Because you know what? Nobody's buying 4K machines and all the associated equipment to see Ghostbusters, like 30-year-old comedy. No, but I have to to tell you, Peter McNichol still has the line in Ghostbusters 2 that slays me. It kills me. It's just so funny, which is when he snaps out of his little trance and he's covered with with ectoplasm. And he says with that ridiculous accent, why am I covered with goo? Still makes me laugh. Okay. Still makes me laugh. We made your low threshold. Thank you. Comedy. Uh, let's do some TV. Wade Roots. Roots, of course, is the uh, the dent- that dental comedy. Wouldn't that be a great title for a half-hour comedy about like I, a? I had a tooth pulled a couple weeks ago. Oh, that. What did oh, I tell yeah. you that? I you did. I, yeah. How'd it go? It's creepy, man. I don't care what they do. You know what? You sit in the chair, and I I, I ask for the gas, yeah. and then they and then pull you, your and, tooth. And, 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 did they just pull it? Just yank it out, or was there any drilling? Um. No. The drilling's they, the part I like. No, because it smells like barbecue. No, because it's a molar. There's three roots, uh-huh. ironically enough. There's three roots that they have to get to, that yeah. they have to sever in order to pull uh-huh. the tooth. So molars tend to be a little bit more complicated yeah. than regular teeth. And uh, so they, but they finally got it out. And then I'm going to get an implant, Wade. I Good. will have implants. Good. Actually, I already have a tooth implant. Good. This will be the second one I have. That's great. Yeah. I'm happy for yeah, you. Yeah, it's freaking great. Okay. Anyway, 1977 roots. This thing, uh, oh, this thing was only nominated for 37 Emmy Awards. And this thing was absolutely... Why they remake this? I, you know what? The remake is... I have not seen it yet, but the remake is supposed to be great. Because here's the thing. In 2016, you can, like, get way more, you know... Bang for your buck. I way know. more brutal. You can get way more historically accurate. You can just... You can polish but, this thing up, and you can make it way more dramatic. And but here's the thing. Angrier and more sweeping, and you can do it all in 2016. But here's the thing. You already told the story of Roots. We just had 12 Years a Slave a couple of years ago. We have Birth of a Nation, which just won everything at Sundance, and which is, let's be honest, going to be a really big effing deal at the end of the year, and it's going to get a heap of Oscar nominations next year. 
And, uh, you know, Nate Parker is quite likely to become only the third person ever to be nominated in all four categories, producer, director, uh, actor, and screenwriter, right after Orson Welles and Warren Beatty twice. So, um, and then we've got that other TV show, which is on AMC or something. There's some new, there, there was uh, Runaway Slaves. i got to be honest, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of seeing black actors play slaves. I'd kind of like to see black actors play, like, just people again. <laughs> You know, I, I feel like I feel like we are trying so hard right now to make a point. I, I think we all agree slavery was a horrible thing, and it's a history we should all be aware of. But I'd kind of like to see black actors have a chance to play something other than slaves. I, I, I'm just, I'm a little bit, you know, I really want to see Birth of a Nation. I'm sure I'm going to love it, but I'm starting to feel like it's a little bit too much. You, you, you start to feel beaten down by uh, I'm, I, like, I, like they're 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 trading on the white man's guilt in order I, to no uh, I'm I'm, sell starting, their I'm starting to feel I'm starting to feel like the attempt to do the right thing is going so far that it's giving that it's that now we're creating this expectation that uh, black actors all need to play slaves and I think the whole point is we need to get away from that you know the whole point is that if you're if you're an if you're a non-white actor in Hollywood with the whole Oscar so white thing. You're not saying, please give me more slave roles. You're saying, please let me play, let me try out for the roles that other actors are getting. Like, let's let the roles be sort of colorblind. Let you know if you're if you have a, a part that you're you're looking to cast. You know, if Tom Cruise is up against George Clooney, well, why not let you know some Asian and some Hispanic and other actors and black actors all let them all be competitive for it. You know. Let it just let's kind of open these things up rather than being so racially specific. I'm feeling like we're getting a little bit we're we're over we're overreaching a little bit. We're trying too hard and we're we're going to be counterproductive. That's my concern. All right, God's at digigods. So go. Yeah. That being said, Roots is on Blu-ray, Wade. That's a great Blu-ray. It's a it's a it's a great miniseries. It's a great miniseries. And it it's holds a legend, up. and it, it, holds holds, up. It, it does hold up, no doubt about it. it has yes. an amazing cast. Including, uh, I'll just say LeVar Burton, just because he's on Star Trek The Next yeah. Generation. Uh, LeVar Burton played the young Kuta Kinte. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Ben Vereen and Vic Morrow and Lou Gossett Jr. And, just, it's just and my friend Tina and former neighbor Tina Andrews, who is wonderful in it. Uh, includes a 38-page uh, booklet and a bunch of um, uh, extras, special features. It's just a great... This thing was watched by like over 130 million people. And, and, and rightfully so. <laughs> I mean, it's... You know, this is this is what this was the this launched the television miniseries in Hollywood. You know, it's uh, I mean, it did for Hollywood, it did for American television what the Foresight Saga did for British television. It's legendary. All right, no one cares about the Foresight Saga. They uh, should. No, they don't. Okay. Vinyl complete for its season. This thing uh, EP'd by Martin Scorsese and uh, Mick Jagger. Bit of a disappointment. In fact, uh, HBO has already dumped the uh, showrunner Terrence Winter. He's out for season two. Is he really? Yes. First winner out. So, man, showrunners are like disposable and expendable all of a sudden. They're well, it's too bad because the, the, the showrunner is they're the they're 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 the ones who have the institutional knowledge of the entire yeah. series, all the characters, all the storylines. So yeah, he's leaving as uh, he's co he was co creator EP. Wow. And uh, yeah. So anyway, so uh, vinyl. Uh, this show is not as. Uh, he, even the new president of HBO admitted that vinyl wasn't quite what he wanted it to be, and they're hoping that they can write the ship in season two. They can't hit a home run every single time. That is true. But still, there's some good stuff in there, and Olivia Wilde is still just, just, delicious. So, just so delicious. Yeah. It's just not there. 
And then, uh, but HBO continues to make a huge bang out of well, huge bucks out of the uh, Game of Thrones empire. Uh, complete third season and fourth season on these uh, super cool limited edition steel books with collectible magnets. Tell me that's not a big selling point. Collectible magnets. Look at those. Pop those on your fridge. I, I have to say something. When yeah. I go to when I go to work on Monday mornings, I yeah. I, I have an office, and yeah. outside my office is a couple of the you know younger kids with the with the yeah. cubicles. And when I come in my office on Monday, I swear to Christ, they got to shut the f up. And all they do is talk <laughs> about Game of Thrones and how the Red Queen did the crazy dragon with this with the with the, with the crazy thing. And they're they 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 are they're speaking a different language. They're so immersed in these characters and their worlds that I just want to shoot myself. Yeah, I know. They love it. I know. Absolutely love it. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a show where people were that granularly interested in everything that happened. I mean, can you, can you, can you think, what was the last show where like, everybody cared so much about every episode? They talked about it, and they dissected it, and they knew all the uh, details of it. I, I can't remember. Star Trek? I, I mean, even something like, like The Sopranos was like, oh, I can't believe he got whacked. That was really the extent yeah. of it. But yeah. this is just ridiculous. Well, anyway, this is seasons three and four, and uh, the steelbooks are nice. The magnets are nice. I, I, I'll confess, I'm, I, you know, I still – something recently happened. There was something recently, just recently on Sunday on Game of Thrones, which I, I did think not some watch. fat guy died. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, don't, some, don't, it means nothing to me. Does some fat guy like a week or two ago, something uh, really – just and the red, the happened. red wedding. There was some red wedding, and yeah, that was last died. year. As, as you can tell, uh, I have not seen Game of Thrones. No. Anyway, you know what? Actually, no. I, I saw the pilot. I saw the first episode. Well, I, I should be fair because a very, very good friend of ours is the post production supervisor, and uh, I know what she deals with. And I have to say, people, I mean, you can tell looking at the show that this is like making a movie every week. This thing is crazy expensive, but I know from what she does that it is it is a monumental. It is a Herculean effort logistically to put these shows together. It is, it is truly like making a feature film every week. It is phenomenal because things go on here. They go on in the U.K. There's, there's all kinds of post-production stuff that has to be juggled and coordinated. And that's in addition to all of the production stuff that has to be juggled and coordinated. It is really an extraordinary thing. It is a well-oiled, fine-tuned, giant behemoth of a steampunk machine that actually makes this show run. And, uh, you know, this is, this is like, this is the pinnacle of show running, if we want to be honest. This is the pinnacle of show running to make this thing work. So bravo to them. And, you know, nice steel books. So uh, I, I, I can't fully recommend these, despite all of the copious extras on here, which is just gobs and hours of featurettes and, uh, and commentaries, and it's just on and on and on and on. I mean, it's hours and hours of stuff. The only reason I have a hard time fully recommending this is because you and I both know that when this show is done with its run, you're going to get a like giant ceramic throne that comes with every disc and every episode in like this amazing uh, you know Christmas time gift package that'll weigh about fifty pounds and it'll have to be delivered by like uh, you know white glove service from DHL or something. It's it, you're you're going to have your big mondo boxed set eventually so if you don't want to do, i mean if you have to watch it right now okay go ahead and get it but otherwise you're going to be double dipping when the big white glove service ceramic throne with every episode ever comes out i'm warning you we know it's coming or a special edition when the game of thrones movie comes out are they going to do a movie i don't know i'm sure they probably will i made that up well whatever 
okay, and then uh, a couple of, a couple of things here, real quickly. We we're gonna have to wrap this up uh, in just a moment, but uh, we've got the spoils before dying, which is a bit of a weird thing on IFC. Uh, this is kind of this is you know strange comedy satire. I don't really know how to explain this, but it's it's. I guess you could say that this is like uh, a spoof of sorts. They're all all these ex SNL people are trying to do a lot of this. Will Ferrell shows up. Uh, you know, uh, Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph. Uh, all, Michael Kenneth Williams is the kind of the one non SNL figure here. So what this is, this is like this weird spoof of a jazz bio with a little bit of noir, and uh, it's kind of strange. Uh, I don't know that it's that funny, but it it's interesting uh, in a way. Um, I, I have to kind of figure out what the vibe is with this stuff because they don't they you know they play it straight, and it's I guess it's probably better as a sketch anyway. Uh, more of When Calls the Heart, Heart of a Hero from Hallmark. This thing just goes on and on and on and on. And uh, they're all kind of the same. So, uh, you know, Lori Laughlin's lovely and Aaron Krakow's lovely and Jack Wagner's lovely. And, uh, you know, it's just schmaltzy romance just keeps on going. And uh, The Kroll Show from Comedy Central, I kind of think this is a misfire. This is season three of The Kroll Show. Um, Mark, have we, have you, I can't remember if you like this or not. Are you a fan of The Kroll Show? Um, I'm a fan of him, but I think the show is a little much. Yeah, it is. Anyway. All right. So kind of a, kind of a misfire on, uh, on Comedy Central. And uh, what else do we have to wrap out the show? Well, we have Orange is the New Black, season three. And uh, there's a lot of uh, women in jail because that's what happens on... Um, Kind of, I'm kind of new black. I, I kind of feel like they, this thing is on fumes at this I point. Know, the people, I, the people still it. love it. They do. You know what? It was a it was a phenomenon when it came out. It kind of yeah. came out of nowhere a little bit. It was, it, it it took it took half a season, three quarters of a season for people yeah. to go, wow, this thing is great. Yeah. But then it finally happened, and now they're. Uh, it's. I don't think it's going to be like you know Sopranos or Game of Thrones amazing, but it's definitely got a, it's definitely got a niche. And the uh, Blu-ray is great. There's a gag reel and some uh, commentaries and uh, a thing on Laverne Cox. So yeah, if you're a fan, I would definitely pick this up. All right. And then I uh, our last two TV titles, uh, Rick and Morty season two. We never covered season one, uh, which came out last year. Uh, so I kind of picked this thing up uh, midstream. I this is animation has just gotten weird and ugly uh, for a lot of people. I this is a more Adult Swim, which we have which we have not been fair to in the past. We'll be honest, we just kind of don't get the, the whole thing. It's like. You smoke a lot of pot, and then you you're, you eat a lot of food, and you can't get to sleep at like one in the morning. You watch Adult Swim, and I guess you make sense of it. Um, okay, so ten episodes here, and they include animatics and featurettes and commentaries and stuff. And other than that, I just don't. I, I kind of don't get the whole Rick and Morty thing. Do you get the Rick and Morty thing? No, I do not. Okay, I don't either. Uh, anyway, ultraviolet on that as well. And then uh, lastly, the Shannara Chronicles from MTV Season 1. I kind of feel like there is promise to this. Uh, this is based on a book series, I guess a young adult book series. And uh, it means to be kind of Game of Throne, Game of Throne-ish a little bit. Um, it's, uh, you know, it all takes place in New Zealand, and it's, it's got a, a fantasy vibe, although it's not quite to the level of Game of Thrones. 
And uh, it's, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, you know, John Favreau got involved as an executive producer. I don't know how, how, how big of a role he actually has to play, but we'll see where this goes. So this is the first season, and, um, you know, give it, uh, we'll give it a chance. That's Sh- the Shannara Chronicles, season one. Wishing them well. So in the meantime, if you want to email us, please do so at gods at digigods.com. That's uh, send us your emails, your questions, your concerns, your hate mail, or your Vox boxes. We are always looking for Vox boxes. No. We always want to feature fans on the show, give you a chance to say your say and uh, be a part of the show. So just record your question in any format you want. Any audio format, send it in, and uh, we will feature your question and our uh, hopefully illustrious answer uh, on a Vox Box in the future. With that, we'll see you next no, week. No, wait a second, what? Wade. What? what? I have something very important to say. Go ahead.